Welcome back to Work Seats in the House. Michael Russo, Anthony LaPanta coming to you from the uh, second inning, top of the second, of the uh, Twins versus the Guardians game. Just doesn't have the same sound as the Indians. Doesn't quite sound right. No. Uh, two nothing, bases loaded. And we'll see if the uh, Twins can break this thing open. Yeah, this is a huge series. Really is. 25 games to go. Five-game lead. Cleveland probably needs a sweep. They for sure have to win the series, but likely needs a sweep to stay in the divisional race. And Twins have a chance early to deliver a knockout punch, and they might have just done yep, it with Royce did. Lewis, Woo! who has just been unbelievable. Four grand slams now this season? It's crazy. And he had one, a big one against Cleveland when they were here last week. The Guardians had a four-run lead. Lewis comes up, hits a grand slam as part of a six-run inning. It is unbelievable how this guy thrives in big spots, on the big stage, under the bright lights. Nothing seems too big for him. And here you're, you got Lucas Giolito, the guy Cleveland just acquired, and I think no small part of it was how well he's pitched against the Twins in his career. And in this inning, ran into trouble. He walked three guys in the inning and Lewis makes him pay with the grand slam. And so as we, as we talk now, people will be listening to this obviously Thank long you, after you. this game is over, but the, the twins are up six and in a series where probably one win might be enough to realistically deliver a knockout punch, two wins for sure means the twins are going to win the central. All right. Like, I'm no baseball great mind. I get there, just bases loaded, no room for error, blah, 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 blah. But you have a guy that's just hitting dinger after dinger after dinger with the bases loaded, and you throw him a meatball right up the middle. Well, he was behind in the count. He had, he had walked the two guys in a row prior to that. And that's, that's what great hitters do, though. They know, all right, this guy's back's to the wall. He's got nowhere to put me. He's going to throw one right down the middle. And Lewis didn't miss it. A whole bunch of other guys swing out of their shoes and pop that one up on the infield. And not Lewis. He yeah. just squared it up and hit it a mile. So if you didn't know, this is the Wild podcast. Right. Uh, not the Twins, if you're listening back at home. So sorry if we confused you, but that really was all just happenstance. So <laughs> we did not know he was going to home. And but... training camp hasn't started yet. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. until training camp starts, that, that is, is what my, you get. It's, yeah, that's... It is my side job, I, and it's more That's than a side job. That's why we're coming to you from Valley. Right. I end up – I was just thinking about this today, that each season with the Wild – You do less and less games almost, right, because of the national deal? Yeah, we lose the max every year, and we did again this year, lose 13. So we end up with 69 regular season games. We do three preseason games, and you know, roughly you can kind of count on six in the playoffs. So we end up pretty close to 80. This year, if there's six playoff games, we'll do 78. And I probably do about that many Twins games. I don't know what the exact total is this year, yeah. but it's usually roughly half the games once the hockey season's over, and it usually ends up being just slightly more than half. So it, I'll have to go back and, and add it up. But I'll bet you that it ends up being 72 to 75 games. So, I, And not that... It's the same when you're. I do pre and post game shows for these games, and I don't travel, so it's not. It's not quite as grueling a schedule as what the hockey season is. And we do them in series, so it's it's all great. I love the, and I'm a big baseball fan, so I love being a part of it. But I end up working almost as many Twins games as I do Wild games every year. Yeah, as I told somebody at the fair, you have uh, two jobs. It's not even a side job, as he said. Uh, so our, we're coming to you from Ballet Sports North Studio. A really exciting uh, month ahead. And it's funny because Skyler, um, who is a longtime listener and fan of the show, asked, are you guys excited to get back in the grind of the NHL season? I don't know what it is about the first podcast of September every year when we, you and I do these, Anthony, but now it suddenly does feel real. Training camp's right around the corner. 21 days, 20, sorry. It's September 4th. It's uh, 17 games from today. Uh, really cool month ahead with the podcast as well. September 14th, we'll be out at Kowalski's in Woodbury um, for a live podcast there in their patio section. Uh, so definitely come on out, especially if you're an East Sider like myself. Um, this is one of my favorite uh, Kowalski's, and uh, we, it'll be a surprise what we're doing, but we're going to be uh, talking about well, I can tell you what we're okay, doing. Okay, cool. Well, I was just chatting a little bit with Troy, the meat and produce guy for Star for Kowalski's who's awesome and people who have been at these shows before have met him and he was the 
He was the winner in the grill-off in the Shoreview Kowalski's parking lot and was with us down in Uptown as well. And so for this event, we are going to grill some steaks, and but then the theme of the event, too, is some is Minnesota grown. So he says that we're going to grill up some locally raised shrimp and a turkey burger. We'll have a corn roaster. Everybody that attends will for sure get a, a piece of corn. But it's focused on the local stuff because this time of year, all of that's really in full swing. Mm-hmm. As anybody who's grown up in Minnesota knows that the best time for corn on the cob is from about late July till now through September. It's terrific. It's the sweetest. It's the juiciest. So I'll be looking forward to that. And it, it'll be, trust me when I tell you, the food part of it will be worth the trip out to the Kowalskis in Woodbury. Absolutely. And uh, and if you've never had one of their turkey burgers, probably from the, uh, from the uh, meat section there, it's absolutely unreal. Same with their so kebabs, the, by the way. And so that's on the 14th. And remember, we also have the dinner in Shoreview that we raffled off uh, at our podcast that we taped over in Sicily, where we've got some guests coming to our house on the 10th. Uh, unfortunately, we can't invite the fans to come to this show, but well, we Kowalski's, can if we just real quick uh, give your address away. Well, we could, but Kowalski's is providing the stakes for that too. Wow. So it's going to be terrific. And I haven't for sure decided. Any eggplant? Well, we can do some eggplant. There, there will be eggplant. We'll have caponata. I'm, I made caponata again Let's see, what day was it? We had, or I can't remember, a couple days ago, went over to some friend's house. They happen to be Italian as well, but I brought some caponata with me, and I'm getting pretty close to the caponatas that we had in Sicily. And each town had their own little spin on it. And we learned at the very first day we were in Palermo, and Margo and I sat down to have lunch at a local spot, and they had caponata, and they called it Agrigento style, Syracusa style, and Palermo style. And I wasn't even familiar with what caponata was. We tried them all. We liked them all. So then as we toured these other cities, sure enough, when you got, that's how they made caponata. Right. And so I've now duplicated it a few times. And as you know, that's the way that the cooking goes in my house is we're usually trying to copy something I've had somewhere. I'm getting close with the caponata. There's a pretty good chance there'll be caponata on your anapasti plate when we have dinner. It's a week from, oh, it's this Sunday, actually, the 10th. So it's a week from yesterday. Wow. And I think that's the day I get back from uh, Chicago. Yeah, so we'll have, that'll be great. But anyway, Kowalski's is providing the steaks. I haven't decided for sure yet which cut of steak we'll go with that night. I know Margo wants me to get the menu decided quickly so she can print it up and we'll have to, it might actually do a little more forward planning on this, but that'll be a great night too. And always look forward to an opportunity to have the steaks from Kowalski's. Yeah. And we, uh, uh, by the way, Brian, our mutual friend texted me the other day and said that he was going to invest in a restaurant that we talked on the last podcast um, until he was slandered at the end of the podcast <laughs> uh, for his hatred of eggplant and wine. Um, so uh, well, we hopefully can... I haven't pissed off them too much because, you know, Karen, as you know, is my snowblower and uh, fertilize uh, cedar. So hopefully she doesn't get upset. And we can have a, let's see, what would we call it? It would be the beer drinking heathen section of the menu in our Italian spot. Right. Like this menu, this part of the menu is for those and that does he appreciate have to sit in the kitchen? wine. Maybe a table near the kitchen. Okay. And there won't be any ice, that's for sure. We'll make it a true Sicilian experience for him. <laughs> but we can have we'll, his... We'll light the, uh, the f- something on fire. We can have his beer served in a can for him and just set it back there and, and we'll call... I, We'll work on that. I, maybe the beer drinking heathens might be a little bit rough, but but we'll come up with a, a part of the menu that is right up his yeah. alley. So again, next live show, September 14th at Kowalski's in Woodbury. Definitely come on out. By the way, that's 6 p.m. We're doing an hour normal than our normal live shows, hour earlier than our normal live shows, just because sunset's getting a little uh, earlier, and, and that's an outside uh, podcast, so uh, weather permitting, I guess, too, uh, so pay attention to our social media. And then our next live show at Elsie's is September 21st, and what makes that show special is that's the first day of on-ice at training camp, so uh, we'll have a lot of updates on what we saw in the first uh, 
three practices that we see down there. So hopefully, as long as I'm done with my article that day, Joe Smith might have to write that day. Um, uh, we'll be doing a live show at 7 p.m. at uh, at Elsie's. So again, that's September 24th, 7 p.m. at Elsie's. Um, I was just down at the State Fair today, Anthony, and I saw our old friend Dane Muzutani. Um, Dane was the wild beat writer for the last seven years until he went on and he covered now the Vikings over there. Um, and uh, man, was I giving him a lot of flack for abandoning us this year. I, I've given him some of that flack too. Now the challenge for him will be that he's usually covered like 60% of the game. So I was, <laughs> I was giving him a rough time about the Vikings schedule. I said, so does this mean you'll cover like 11 of the 17 or maybe 12 if they're competitive? Do you just take road trips off like you did when covering the Wild? And well, we'll see. I, I, I'm happy for Dane. I know that he was excited about this change. We will miss him. He was yeah. a good guy to have with us on the road and when he was on the road. And and <laughs> he, he'll do a good job with the Vikings for sure. Yeah, he'll do a great job. Uh, so we'll miss uh, Dane uh, there. So let's get back to Skylar's question. Are you guys excited to get back in the grind? I am. Um, you know, just also just, you know, it'd be nice to get into an air conditioned building, especially a day like today and watch a lot of hockey here. And it's seven, nothing twins now, man, are they just uh, rope? Let's killing the guardians. Do they know the guardians know this is make or break uh, serious then? Yeah, I think so. I think it's a fair bet. Then they've kind of had Minnesota's number over the last couple of years. Last year, the roles were reversed about this time of year. Minnesota was make or break. Cleveland knew all they needed was, Essentially, a win in a series, a sweep delivers a knockout, and they deliver. They beat the Twins nine out of ten, the nine out of the last ten last year, and they've beaten them six out of ten so far this year. But boy, Minnesota has really gotten after Giolito, who's been really good against the Twins over the last three years, but not tonight. Yeah, but yeah, I'm with you. I'm really excited to get back to it. I always am. It's the when the season ends, I always feel like it. You f- it feels like it's going to be forever before it's hockey season again. Mm-hmm. And it feels like, at least around here, w- with the number of years in a row that the Wild have been out in the first round, I always find myself, at, when you get to the Stanley Cup Finals, feeling like this. it's hard to believe this is even the same season that we were a part of because it seems like forever ago since we've called a hockey game, since we've watched the Wild play. And you go through the free agency period and everything, and it still feels like it's forever away. But I'm with you. You get to Labor Day weekend, and all of a sudden, it's holy cow. It's for real. It's a couple weeks away. And and for me, a lot of it comes down to all these ideas that I had, like before next season, I'm going to do this. Before next season, I'm going to I want to look this up. I want to build this file. I want to change my game night charts to this. Put and in I, a master bathroom. And yeah. I, well. Yeah, that might be that might be a couple off seasons. See, it took away, us twelve but, minutes for me to piss off Margo. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, that she just will she'll be cheering along with you. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Yeah. But it's it is funny how then all You've of a sudden You've been busy on the golf course for all summer and Johnny's games. I mean you haven't had time. I have been busy and I, I do have two jobs. I did. <laughs> I, I, am, I am sixty plus Twins games into the season so far. Golf game has gotten better, and yeah, boy, how about the? I don't know if you saw the. You must have saw the post that I had because otherwise you wouldn't have brought it up. But what an incredible weekend! If if fans, if you're college football fans and you're from the Twin Cities or anywhere in Minnesota, really. It's hard to beat the game day experience in Collegeville. It really right. is. The, yeah. the tailgate experience and the atmosphere in that stadium is amazing. For, and then when you remember it's a Division Three program, it, it truly is amazing. But this game was unbelievable. They were, they were playing Trinity of Texas. Trinity was ranked fourth in the country. The Johnnies were number six coming in. They've been two of probably the top seven or eight teams in the country over the last 15 to 20 years. They've, it seems like they're in it more often than not when you get down to the final eight, final four. And Trinity was really good. They had a 31-14 lead with about 12 minutes to go, and it felt like no chance. And there's just some magic for St. John's. The, they've won so many games over the years that when you walk, you think back to it and you're, how? wait, how in the world did this happen, that happen, this happen? And there's just something happens where they find a way. And I talked to a couple of their coaches after the game and they were just shrugging their shoulders with the smirk on their face. Like, you know, what? Just You just keep playing. 
and somehow, some way, they found a way. It was a they ended up winning the game in overtime, and had an intercept after they had kicked a field goal first. Had an interception to seal it. It was so much fun, and for me, it's it's special. I go up there now. My youngest daughter is a senior there, but I lived in a house with there were six of us, and most weekends when I go up there. I'll see four or five of the guys I lived with 30 years ago. That's crazy. And they all have parking spots right next to each other in the tailgate lot. Most of them have kids up there now or have just had kids. And and then one of my oldest friends who was a Tommy but has seen the ills of his ways and has had all three of his kids now go to St. John's, St. Ben's, he's got the spot right next to him. So it's it's like a reunion for me every time I show up up there for this tailgating. And we had a blast last Saturday. That was a lot of fun. By the way, the pitching coach just came out to talk to Giolito Downey. I'll think he puts his hand on his shoulder like, all right, you know, it was almost like, you know, things aren't going well right now. Things like, aren't going exactly well. That reminds <laughs> me back to the, I, I think it was on our show, and we were talking a little bit about the the Kevin Gorg saga, and it. I'll never. Every time I see stuff, oh, here like comes that, the, the Guardian Sam Henchkiss. Yeah, not Hench- the Wilds, not Henchkiss. Okay, Henchkiss. Sam Henchkiss was a Saint Odelia classmate. I'm of talking Benny. about the Wild prospect. No, I know. Yeah. And his is also Henchkiss, yeah. but this is Sam Henchkiss, who was Vinny's classmate at Saint Odelia, okay. the big lefty who pitches for yeah, Cleveland, yeah, yeah. and was a, a guy that I coached a little bit when he was a kid and really a dynamite kid from a dynamite family. And it's pretty cool to see the Shoreview community, Moundsview community support him every time that he pitches. Yeah. He, he pitched really well when the teams faced each other here at Target Field last week. But anyway, the the when you make that statement, it reminds me of the great Tarmo Kubitz going to interview Kevin Gorg in the section finals at Mariucci Arena when facing Bloomington Jefferson that had Ben Clymer, Mark Parrish, Mike Crowley, that that crew. And they were down five zip after one. And we send Tarmo Kubitz, our guy, down to interview. We'd, we'd always pick the coach that we thought was going to lose the game for the first intermission because we'd think he'd be closer at that point and then pick the favorite in the second. So we had picked Gorg for the first. This was not a game his team was expected to win, but nobody thought it would be five zip after one. And I said, guys, we better just prepared for something else during that first intermission because there's a decent chance Gorgie's not going to want to talk. And all of a sudden, the sideline guy, he said, nope, Gorgie's walking over here right now. He comes over, and, and Tarmo asks him that, well, Kevin, uh, you know, pretty tough period. You know, what do you have to do to, to get back in this game? And he's, well, Tarmo, it's not going exactly well out there right now. And I'm not going to lie to you. There's not much working. And <laughs> and it was such a an honest answer, but just so out of the norm from what you'd get from a coach when you're down five rip at that point. Didn't he not let the players off the bench? No, that was a different game. That was in this game. I think he knew that they were in over their head. They ended up losing the game 10 to Mm one. And he knew that, and Jefferson went on to win the state championship that year. He knew that they were overmatched. And I think he'll tell the story that they had given Jefferson a pretty good battle during the season, and his game plan was to shadow Mike Crowley, who as a defenseman was one of the most dominant high school players I've ever seen. And it worked. I think they lost the regular season game in overtime. But then he tried to shadow him again, which two things were in play. One, the other team was coached by Tom Satterdahl and one of the great high school coaches of all time. And you don't think he's going to make an adjustment from the last time you played him? <laughs> Number two, it was an Olympic-sized sheet at Mariucci Arena. Yeah, so Crowley So they're chasing around. him around, in the, and nobody could catch him, and he's got all kinds of ice. It was, it was, it was a debacle. Yeah. And look, Gorgie wasn't the only one who got run over by those Jefferson teams, but I just thought his intermission interview was funny, and it reminded me of, of the way you described that yeah. conversation. So my 16th annual... 16? Yes. No, 18th anniversary here in Minnesota is coming up on the day this podcast comes out. And you know what's I, I have forever heard Mike Crowley stories, and I'm convinced I don't think I've ever met him. Like, I should do a feature on this guy. Like, I've heard Mike Crowley stories since Mark Parrish and Matt Cullen played for the Florida Panthers. Yeah, and I'll tell you that people have asked me sometimes... Like, what's he do now? I don't know, but people have asked me 
about the best high school hockey players I ever saw. Uh-huh. And I saw the Broughtons play in person right, right. when they came down and played against. I, at that time, I was a junior high kid in the Irondale School District, and Rozo played Irondale in the state tournament. They played like a 9-7 to seven third place game one mm-hmm. year. or It was either consolation final or third place. And uh, those guys were as dominant as, as anybody. I saw Phil Housley play, and he was crazy how he controlled the game. But Mike Crowley was right there with the best high school mm-hmm. players, the most dominant high school players I've ever seen. He would play – at that time, the games were 45 minutes long. They were three 15-minute periods. And – I'd say he conservatively would play 30 in a lot of games if it was close. And that like he he kind of had the Ryan Suter just never looked tired to him, but nobody ever got a scoring chance when he was on the ice. And he was a he was a great offensive player too, but he had the game under such control when he was on the ice that it was crazy. He was he was the most dominant that I've seen in the I'd, what I'd call the modern era, I guess, where most teams were – it wasn't like when Housley played 10 or 12 years earlier where the best player might play the whole game. The Broughton line where they just were so much better than everybody else, mm-hmm. it was crazy. This guy was at a time where there were a lot more good players on more teams, and he was still as dominant as anybody I ever mm-hmm. saw. When we come back from the rake, I want to ask you about Brad Maxwell, who sadly passed away on Sunday at the age of 66, way too soon. But uh, as always, we are coming to you from the Aquarius Home Services Studio on location tonight at uh, Bally Sports North. And if you're worried about what's in your water, could be iron, rust, or dissolved rock. Doesn't that sound good? Uh, Look no further than Aquarius Home Services. Aquarius has some big news for everyone. Get a refreshing 25% discount on their top-notch whole home Connecticut water system. I have it at my place. Whether it's city or well, Connecticut takes your water worries away. It's water that makes cleaning a breeze and helps your appliances last longer. Connecticut means spotless dishes, softer clothes, and purified water right from your faucet. It is unbelievable. And you can enjoy the benefits of life-giving water with a can't-miss 25% off offer. Aquarius believes in earning the right to be recommended, which is why every single week on this show, I... Uh, recommend Aquarius Home Services, your local authorized dealer for Connecticut water treatment systems. They're just a click away at AquariusHomeServices.com. And don't forget to mention that Russo sent you. Here's a word from Chris Lindahl Real Estate. The summer season, uh, selling season is here. Be proactive and take action today, even if you're not quite ready to sell your home, so you can be better informed and ready to move when the time is right. Sell your home stress-free with a guaranteed offer from Chris Lindahl Real Estate. There are no showings, no decluttering, no repairs, and no stress. It's the easiest way to sell your home. They keep you in control so you can sell your home fast. Uh, You can pick your closing date and move when it's convenient for you. To find out what your guaranteed cash offer would be, well, go to kristendahl.com. There's no obligation. Again, kristendahl.com or go call 763-401-SOLD. Close with confidence and start packing. Terms and conditions apply. Uh, here's a word from Bosch Law Firm. Here's a word from Bosch Law Firm. Hey, hockey fans. Jerry Bosch here again from Bosch Law Firm and WorkCompExperts.com. If you're injured at work, it's never too soon to contact the lawyers and awesome staff at Bosch Law Firm. We'll answer all your questions, help you set up your work comp claim, and help you select professionals who will be there to help you, not the insurance company. And with almost 30 years of litigation experience, if your benefits are denied, we'll fight to get you paid. Bosch Law Firm. The call's always free and there's never a fee unless we obtain benefits on your behalf. Call or text us at 651-333-8300 or visit us at workcompexperts.com. All right, welcome back to Worst Seats in the House. Michael Russo, Anthony LaPanta coming to you from... Uh, the Bally Sports North studio where the Twins are absolutely annihilating the Cleveland Guardians 9-zip in the bottom of the third inning. Anthony's just looking forward to getting back on the television with uh, Mr. Plouffe. Um, Anthony, uh, really sad news yesterday. Um, Brad Maxwell, who North Stars legend, um, played a little bit for the Quebec Nordiques, I think the Rangers, and then came back here to uh, Minnesota to end his career. Uh, sadly passed away at the age of 66. Um, I only got to meet him a couple times, but uh, what a hoot. 
uh, character, hilarious. Um, later in life, got into carpentry. In fact, I got to double check this. I've said this a couple times today on the fan, but uh, I think there's like a big wall on the outside patio at Red Cow in downtown Minneapolis that if, if I remember correctly, his daughter once told me that he uh, actually put that he actually built. Um, so he and so he was quite good at it, too, um, but died yesterday at the age of 66 and uh, will be sadly missed, Anthony. Yeah, anybody who was an All-Star fan back in the early 80s will remember him as being a big part of the the 81 team that made the run to the cup finals and I only remember him as an All-Star. I don't I was a little bit surprised when I read some of the articles about his life afterward. I had totally forgotten that he played with the Canucks with the Rangers. It was I remember him as an All-Star and a part of that those blue lines uh, that were so good on a North Star team that captivated hockey fans around here. The closest thing I can think of, I mean, it's it was like watching the 80 Olympic team, the way they came out of nowhere that year and made a run to the final. And Maxwell was great. I, I met him, obviously, years later, and I, same, I had the same interactions you did with him. Great guy, a funny guy. I know he did a tremendous amount of work for the NHL alumni in this area, was an advocate for them, was very active in fighting for their rights, fighting for the treatment for them later in life, and just a great guy and a a big loss for the hockey community, not just here in the Twin Cities, but all across the hockey world. Yeah, I just remember 2016, the outdoor game at TCF when he was on the alumni game for the – for the North Stars against the, uh, the Blackhawks, yeah, right, and yeah. it was uh, it, it was like Wild and North Stars alumni against the the Blackhawks, and how much fun he had, and and all that stuff. Life of the locker room, and uh, I had Lou Nanny on the radio uh, eulogizing him today, and uh, Lou Lou played with him his last couple of years as a player, then became the North Stars GM, and had him for five six years until Brad Maxwell walked into the room and said, "Ah, trade me." And uh, he didn't want to trade Brad, but, but man, Brad, uh, um, I guess Lou, every single player that's ever walked into his office and said, trade me, he did. And so he abided by it. And then uh, they came back. Lou told said this story. So you get trade him to the Quebec Nordiques, and he came back, and the North Stars were playing Quebec that year. <laughs> Apparently, Brad said to, to Lou Nanny, uh, he goes, when I told you to trade me, I didn't mean to Quebec. <laughs> <laughs> I think, if I remember right, I think Lou traded back for him. Yes, he brought, he, yeah, that's what uh, he said. Um, I remember uh, him telling the story. I think that was when he was trying to work a might have been a three way deal with the two Espositos that were GMs yeah, at the same yeah. time, and he was trying to work a three way yeah. deal. And I think he ended up getting yeah. Maxwell back from one of them yeah, from the Phil, Rangers. So, probably so it was funny because he told this story on the radio today that Phil Esposito essentially lied to Brad Maxwell and said that he lost. Uh, he said he. He lost Brad in a poker game to Lou, and until the very end, Lou tried to dispel that rumor, but in Brad's mind, he was one back to the North Stars <laughs> in a poker game because Phil Esposito lost a hand to Lou Nanny. So, great story. Which none of it would surprise you if yeah, you yeah, if Back you in that day, you guys. never know. Right. I mean, the things that were done back in those days. Uh, well, and I remember Lou telling the story about the fact that he – He's, you know, the Espositos, for those who don't know, grew up like a block away from him. Yeah, and in the Sioux. In the Sioux. And so they were buddies forever. Phil and Tony and Lou then were general managers simultaneously one year at the draft. And he said, here we're sitting there. And I look over and there's Phil at this table and two tables away is Tony. And I walked over to then I said, hey, guys, we got to make a three-way trade just for the old time sakes. And he said, Tony wouldn't do it. Because he said, Louie, you're trying to screw me. There's no way I'm doing it. You guys are you guys are just trying to screw me. And Louie's like, don't, Tony, we haven't even, we don't even know who's in the trade yet. We're not even. And you could just see Lou telling the story. Like, in the back of his mind, he for sure was going to somehow get the better of this yeah. deal. But it, it's just funny to think about the fact that here were three childhood buddies who were all retired yeah. NHL players who were now general managers simultaneously that this wasn't like a fantasy hockey trade. These were, they were trying to make a deal that were actually sending humans yeah. from team to team. Yeah. Uh, speaking of Lunani, I was talking to Tino Loteri today at the fair uh, today and Tino is going to Italy later this month. And uh, so I was giving him a rundown of our entire Sicily trip and, and things like that. Uh, you know, Tino obviously born in Italy. I'm a fake Italian. Right. Um, right. 
you know. I'd trust Tino with if he came back with some restaurant recommendations. Yeah. I'd trust him. I still am. I've got to get his lamb chop recipe. Louis used to have a lollipop lamb chop on his menu at his place in Edina right. at Tavern Twenty Three, and the recipe was Tino's. But they were terrific. They don't have them on the menu anymore. And it was interesting. I think I shared the story about the day we visited Louis in his cabin. And I mentioned the fact that, yeah, I still got to remember to get that lamb chop recipe from you. And his family very quickly, it's not Louis's recipe, it's Tino. And, and Louis wasn't the one telling me it was his. He had told me right away it was Tino's. But how quickly they jumped on me when I threw it out yeah. there that, hey, I still got to get that. But the that carbonara recipe. recipe on their menu at Tavern Twenty Three is Francine's. That I uh, can say it's it's her recipe. Yeah, I just it's yeah. just not Louis's. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of which, I'm glad we talked about this because I'm supposed to have lunch with a wild person at uh, Tavern Twenty Three yesterday, and you, this whole thing reminded me to reconfirm that we were meeting up there. Um, all right, let's go You're on. Supposed with the to question. have lunch with him yesterday. I think it's no, too no, late sorry. for the confirmation. Well, I'm sorry. Uh, I don't know what I just said. I'm supposed to, tomorrow. Okay. The day this pod is going to out. I'm like, I'm trying to like keep everything like completely like, you know, when the pod comes out and somehow I still effed it up. So what happened over here? So, I don't know, but this is, this is two days ago for sure now. Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> September 14th, uh, Woodbury Kowalski just meet us there. Tw- September 21st, Elsie's. All right, let's go to uh, some Twitter questions. Um I think that we've done a pretty good job on this podcast considering the Wild haven't made a move in two months. Just saying. Other than signing Vinny Letary and trading for Pat Maroon and re-signing Gus, which re-signs don't count. Yeah, and the re-signing of Marcus Johansson, I think, was a big off-season deal. The Gus deal was big. We never really talked about Pat Maroon, but I like the addition of Pat Maroon, and I know that the Wild spoke really highly of Ryan Reeves and and wanted, wished they could have made it work to keep Reeves here. I actually like Pat Maroon in this roster more than Ryan Reeves. I think mm-hmm. he brings more to the table, and he'll bring some size and toughness. Certainly he's not the fighter at the level of Ryan Reeves. Yeah. but Although he'll fight anybody. He will. I mean, the guy it, used to fight Chara for fun. Right, and it's not, I just don't think that's as big a part of the game as it once was, it's not as necessary to have a guy that can fight the heavyweights as it was. And not that Reeves doesn't bring some value in that area, but I think I think Pat Maroon brings more to this team than Ryan Reeves would have. I'm I'm glad it worked out the way it did. We'll see, but that's my initial thought. Yeah, um yeah, I, I agree with you. I think he's more serviceable, more willing at this point in his career um to to drop him, but also will add the offense and things like that. Um, you know, where Reeves will be missed is obviously his energy in the locker room, especially when you couple that Matt Dumba's gone. But Maroon's no slouch in the locker room as well. He'll be boisterous. But this is a quiet room and and um you know without that energy and I think that as we, we know you and I how much Bill Guerin values that. And it will be interesting to see. I think sometimes people think it's overrated, but it'll, th- that's a huge loss, you know, getting ready for a game. You know, you have Felino and maybe Zuki every now and then. We always see the videos with Zuki dancing and, and having fun in the locker room and things like that. But I, I think that it's a, it is an, it's a significant loss losing guys like Dumba and Reeves. No doubt. And when they brought Reeves last year, they were at a point in the season where yeah. they desperately needed it. Yep. They needed some swagger. They needed an edge, and he brought it. He was a, he probably, that moment might have been as big a swing as there was in the season for the they Wild. They got last off to year. a tough start at the Wild. Yeah, and all of a sudden when he mm-hmm. arrived, there was just a little bit more. There was some energy, and there was a, it was almost like a wake up call for everybody inside that room, and so that can't be overlooked and shouldn't be overlooked. And I didn't mean to overlook it by saying that that I prefer Patrick Maroon yeah. on the roster, but I just think Maroon gives you a little more versatility, flexibility, and there's a reason why this guy has been a part of multiple cup winners. Um, so Bruce Siski asks, what are the player development peeps thinking about Strammel in 23-24? What kind of season can he have playing for Hastings? Um, you know, great question. I, I'll be honest. It's not like I'm every minute talking to player development people about Charlie Strammel. Um, I joked on the radio today that I don't talk to rookies because it seems like I'm always in Italy or Tuscany or 
which is Italy, um, you know, or Switzerland or Austria with you around the same time that uh, development camp is going on. So I just haven't, you know, gotten a chance to to watch a lot of the prospects up close and personal, at least at that thing. I'm looking forward to the one starting September 15th, uh, the Tom Curvis Prospect sh- Showcase down at Tria with Blackhawks and the and the Blues that is going to include um, uh, uh, Connor Bedard. But um, I think there's a lot of optimism right now coming into the season for Strammel. You know, first-round pick, obviously had a tough freshman year at Wisconsin, but Wisconsin was just had a down-down program last year. And I think the hope is, is that Strammel, especially when you add in Mike Hastings and new blood behind the bench, is going to be catapulted by that. And um, he's he's a really good player, and I know a lot of people think the Wild went, quote, off the board there, but they had a lot of affinity for um, Strammel, and I think that, that we're going to see probably the best of them this year, uh, uh, Anthony? I would think the coaching change would be great for him. Yeah, Mike Hastings has had a tremendous track record, but sometimes when you have a guy that is in that kind of a spot, it just feels like a fresh start is what's necessary. And for him, it, we'll see. But I know the Wild were were excited about him, felt like he was a, a guy whose stock in the eyes of some other teams, probably dropped a little bit, and that's why he slipped in the draft. But at the same time, I, I know they were they were really excited about what the potential is for him, and I would I'd expect we'd see him have a better year in Wisconsin statistically and numbers wise than what he did last year. Yes, uh, big man that can skate. So uh, we'll see how he continues to develop. Uh, Rose Manson, Charlie Strammel, Digital Booyah. What a great Twitter name. Uh, Lance asks, uh, is the plan to sign Strammel at the end of the year or let him cook at, with Wisconsin for another year? I mean, my guess would be uh, let him cook, because especially with the Wild having so many prospects turning pro next year, that's the good thing about drafting college kids is that you can let them bake as long as you don't get to that fourth year and risk free agency uh, after that season. But I, I totally think that it makes total sense to just let him continue to develop in a great place with Mike Hastings. Um, awesome program, at least in the past in Wisconsin. We'll see if they can get themselves back on track here against these great Minnesota teams. Um, but it will be um, interesting to watch it. But I don't. I don't think there's any rush from the Wild to sign him. I don't think so. And I think right now, I don't think Billy's ever in a rush to sign anybody yeah. that way. I think it's if you're in a good spot, just let the development take place. Just the, he'll be ready when he's ready. And when he's ready, we'll bring him in. Yeah. Uh, do this. Uh, tell us about Twill in the Adina Galleria. Well, I actually, I just stopped down there a week or so ago to take a look at some of their fall stuff. And it's, they got a great selection right now. It's a, it's a kind of the time of year where you're turning over the wardrobe. And I was looking at some things for a little more layering where you need a sweatshirt. The, my favorite season in Minnesota is the fall where it's the, they call it the, shorts and a sweatshirt capital of the world and I love that the pullover sweaters the quarter zip sweaters and the selection is terrific down there for all that kind of stuff I mentioned on an earlier show they'll get you ready if you're moving back into the office now and or you're just starting your first job where you need to know what to wear to work they can help you out there and the other thing I was looking at is I I gotta update a black suit for this year's hockey season so we got one set aside already for me to pick up for heading into this season but the the tie selection's terrific the clothing lines are terrific for the fall so check it out down at twill at the gallery in edina scott dayton's always there with a friendly face uh and tell us about mo's ice tavern speaking of my ice house i should say and speaking of friendly faces mo right always a friendly face and so there's a couple locations but one is the at fogarty arena we've talked about that one a lot and and that's it's going to be the spot for this year's Donkey Hockey League draft again. We just had our fantasy football draft at the Old Moe's in Moundsview, and a new feature on the menu there. i got to check it out to see if it's also available at the Ice House, but had some shrimp tacos that were terrific. They were a new addition to the menu. I always go for the pastrami sandwich, but these shrimp tacos are worth checking out, and I should have confirmed with Moe that they're available at the Fogarty Arena location before I talked about it on the show. But it's a great spot, and as you know, as now we're heading into the hockey season, and so the arena gets busier, the curling rink gets busier. It's a great spot for you to swing in when you're in the middle of tournaments or game action and just show up there and watch a wild game. They got a great TV setup. It's a it's a great spot with solid food and it is it does have a terrific 
meeting banquet type room. If you're looking for a spot for that kind of thing, check it out. And here's a word from Royal Credit Union. Open a 5.30% annual percentage yield 11-month certificate from Royal Credit Union. Open now at rcu.org slash certificate 530. Early withdrawal penalties could reduce earnings and principal. APY accurate as of 8-21-23. Insured by NCUA. I was just telling our, our salesperson at the uh, at work seats in the house at Talk North that uh, Royal Credit Union coincidentally is one of my uh, loans right now. So uh, um, you right. have loans? I thought you were just independently uh, wealthy. Just, ca- just play, pay cash for cars. I should. Yeah. You know that this is the first car that I ever owned right now because I've always leased, 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 leased. So I'm so looking forward to uh, next April when my car payment is up. That'll be the first time in my entire life other than when I was a kid that I didn't have a car payment. So that'll hmm. be weird. Um, you buy your cars all the time? Um, I buy mine and we usually, we, Margo's are a lease and... Part of that's just by design. She doesn't typically put as many miles on them, and that way she's turning it over, always driving a car that's under warranty, just doesn't have to worry about anything. And for me, the cars I've had, I've had longer, and so I typically have bought them. And I had one that was a lease that I rolled over, but I've typically bought used cars, not new anyway. So I'll buy the slightly used and, and then buy it. Nothing like the original 4Runner that I had that drove for 16 years and 362,000 miles on it, I think, when AJ smashed it into a tree and finally retired it. But uh, since then, Shocker. I haven't had any that have lasted that long, but I have I, I have bought them. I, I just I like going with a slightly used car and then just buy it instead of lease it. Yeah, what's with you, your family and car accidents? It's just every minute. Well, not every minute, but there have been a couple. <laughs> I love my favorite. One of my favorite stories is the one when you were rear-ended on the highway and somehow made it to the Twins game. You were working by like a minute. Yeah. Didn't you like park on the target field like lawn essentially? No, that was going to a Timberwolves game. I parked on the sidewalk. Um, that was I got caught in the Holly Dazzle parade on my way to a Timberwolves game. But the time I got rear-ended on the freeway. So who moved your car? Uh, one of our like production assistant guys, and it. That's actually a longer story because. I was, I was driving down there. I got stuck in the Holly Dazzle Parade where the roads were blocked off. So I was like, guys, I'm, I'm like a block away, but I've been sitting here for an hour and I can't get anywhere. So we finally, I figured out how to get around, and the guy came out to park my car. Well, he parked it down across the street from the bus station, and after the guy, you know, he gives me back my key and. After the game, I'm walking to where he told me he parked it, and as I'm walking toward the car, I see my passenger door is open. Oh, boy. So I don't know if he left the car unlocked or if he left the door open, but bottom line is my car, I had a bunch of stuff stolen out of my car that night, and it was not good. But So so that, that story didn't have a happy <laughs> ending. The one, the one where I was racing to a Twins game, I was I was coming from football practice at Totino Grace and and the, there's a one spot on 694 that I still to this day I was just talking to Margo about this the other day I don't understand how it gets bottled up if you're driving west on 694 I get on at Central leaving football practice and from there to the river is backed up it expands from three lanes to four at the river so I've never figured out like why does it bottleneck there. You're expanding lanes. You're not, you're not constricting lanes, right. and yet every single day it's bottled up there. So I was driving and and I got rear-ended. So I texted our producer and I said, "Hey, look, I just got rear-ended. I can't drive my car, so I have no idea how long this is going to take me to to get to where we're going." I said, "I'm going to call Margo see if she'll pick me up here to bring me down there, but I got to arrange for a." tow to get my car out of here. I don't know if I'm going to have to sit here and wait for the tow truck. So the bottom line, I think it might have been Kevin Gorg doing sidelines that night because, in fact, it was Kevin. So I texted him. This was probably at, let's say it was a 6.30 pregame show. This was probably at about 5 o'clock that this accident happened. And so I'm, I said, just have Gorgie be ready, and I'll get there as fast as I can. And, and so... Tow truck arrived. Margot met me there. She drops me off. And I walked into tar- At that time, our set was out in left field or right field. And I walked through the gates 
at like 627, walked straight over to the desk and just said, Gorgie, get out of my seat, but leave your format there so I know what we're talking about. <laughs> and sat down and did the show and everything Everything worked out great. Nobody was hurt or anything in the accident. It was just that... Yeah. My, you don't read your format in a normal game, so... No, it was good, but it was. Yeah. I did get there... Yeah. I think I arrived at 627 yeah. for a 630 show. When I walk into the booth to do uh, TV with Anthony, Anthony's usually, that's that's when he learns of it. <laughs> and then we're, you know, they'll say, Rigatoni will say in her ear 10 seconds, and Anthony will be like, what are we talking about? So yeah. it's it's amazing that segment's lasted as long as it has. Um, Joe asks, uh, how does Wild Merchandise minus jersey sales compare to other teams in the league? Many and I talk to... In, many I talk to, including myself, seem very tired of what feels like a boring style design that seems to date back five plus years. Um, I mean, I think that their merchandise sales is as good as it gets. I mean, that's their brand. Uh, you know, like I, I, I don't, I don't disagree that a lot of times teams want to like revamp things, mostly for revenue streams. Right? It's a way to make some extra cash. It's kind of a fraudulent way to make some extra cash. But the Wild, for some reason, really don't do that. Um, uh, they are going to have the third jersey this year. It's going to be unveiled in the, in the coming days here, um, which is, a re as we've reported now for months, it's a revamped version of their, uh, their, their jersey last year, their reverse retro, the green one. Just a couple tweaks. Um, and so uh, we'll see... Um, I'm sure that'll fly off the shelves, especially because the reverse retros is run by the league. So there's a finite number that they sell, which is why they sell out all the time. This, the wild will be able to sell unlimited. Yeah. And I've, I've loved the reverse retros, both of them for obvious reasons. Anybody that I thought the white was sharper than the green. Yeah. That's I just me. Too. I think, the but I like the green subway ish. I don't know. It was, it looked like the old North star jerseys still. So for I, me, I, it was terrific. I would hope that I wish that the, the, the new one, the tweet had the black outline. Then it would look much more North Stars Z. Yeah, I, I liked both of them, but the and I, I like I really like their standard road jerseys, the white jerseys. Yeah. I think those are sharp. Yeah, you don't love the green. Um, I, I don't mind the green, but I like the white better. Mm -hmm. And I think the greens are good. Yeah, but I, I do think the. The logo has, I got to say, from the time from the start, the logo's grown on me. I remember when they first unveiled it; it wasn't it wasn't my favorite logo, but I think it's it's remained unchanged, and I like that. It's, I, I think it's a sharp logo, and particularly on those whites, I really like the whites the, are awesome. Yeah, I think yeah. the whites are a terrific yeah. jersey. Um, I, you know what I used to love are those uh, the scripted third jerseys that said Minnesota Wild on it. I love those, um, but uh, you know nobody should take fashion like. Like the green, I, you're talking about the green, yeah, the green jerseys one, with yeah. the cream. Yeah. Yeah, I like those too. But I'm like, I mean, I am totally in the minority. I used to love those red ones. Like the the ones that everybody called Christmas jerseys. I thought they were sharp. Yeah, I didn't mind the red ones. I I didn't mind those at all. I I think the their jerseys are good. They're for a and I'm a traditionalist guy, so I like the teams whose uniforms change the least. Right. Over Rangers. The years. I like the Rangers. I, I like the Bruins. I like the Blackhawks. You know, those are some of my favorite jerseys. Mm -hmm. Just that are the Maple Leafs. There's just something I like when you, if you saw a highlight clip at any point, other than the fact that they changed where they used to wear white at home and now they're wearing dark, you immediately knew who the teams yeah, were and got a brand and, and who was at home. It had a brand and and I think the Wild have done a pretty good job for a. A relatively young franchise compared to the league, it's they've done a pretty good job of of developing that identity, that brand, that look, and I I don't know that I'd I don't see a need to make any major changes. Yeah, I don't think so. We'll have to ask CEO Matt Maker now, no longer president. Yeah. CEO. I know he's excited about the third jersey, and yeah. rightfully so. I mean, the third jerseys are that's just a given around the league these days, and. I, you know, there, there's sometimes when you play a team where you, I go into games just kind of hoping that they're wearing their standard jersey and not the gimmicky third ones. Yeah. And there are a few teams like that. Like I, when San Jose came in the league, I liked their teal because nobody else was wearing teal. Mm -hmm. So now when they wear their black jerseys, I, I don't like them at all because it's, everybody's yeah. got a black jersey, it seems. Yeah. And I liked when they just had their teal and the, 
there's just a few teams that are like that. I that I I like their basic uniform so much that Tampa's one. I kind of like their just their basic white and blue jerseys. I hate when they wear the black ones that say bolts across them. I, yeah. I, I don't like those at all. So yeah. there's there's just some teams like that. Yeah. Islanders best jersey. I don't mind the Islanders jerseys. Yeah. There and a part of it too. Again, it goes to the color. Like they just yeah. they had a color that was different than most. And but I'll say for them, like I they I, wasn't didn't they have an alternative jersey that yeah, was the one with the fish like the yeah, lighthouse. I didn't like it at all. Yeah, it was terrible. I like their yeah. standard, just their blue yeah, and yeah. and their whites. Yeah. Reminds me good. of my childhood every time I see it. All right, Chris uh, asks, how confident is Bill Guerin that uh, Dimitri? Danila, I should say, Yurov and Murat Husandinov will be allowed to come over. Uh, very confident. I mean, that's why Yurov only signed a one-year extension, which I am impressed why. I was telling somebody today, I, you know, Yurov just seems so excited to get here. He came to development camp, which is very un-KHL player-like, and he loves stuff all over Instagram. He, I, I talk with him all the time on Instagram. Like He's so excited to get here. That's why he signed the one-year extension, which you got to give him all the credit in the world because we know the politics over there. And then who's not DNF as well? Um, you know, and and I, I think that the belief is that both of them and Liam Ogren, who's playing for Farstad this year, um, will all come over together next year. Then we'll see what happens the following year after that. I would think that uh, Yurov and Ogren will need a little time in Iowa. Who's not DNF jury's out just because he's so professionally experienced uh, from the years and years of playing in the KHL of 200 some odd games. Um, Joseph Nowariak said, You've guys. You've said guys like Felino and Freddie played parts of the regular season hurt. Do you think the team should handle similar injuries the same way, or should they use IR and bring up some young guys? A healthy Felino is worth a lot in the playoffs. Totally agree with that. Um, sometimes, um, you know, it's easier said than done, especially this upcoming year, because unless guys are put on LTI, the Wild don't have a lot of cap space. So if guys are hurt and they're little dink, little like you know tweaks and dinks and things like that it's gonna be hard for them to bring up guys from the minors that's how you know when you put a guy on ir you don't get cap relief unless they're on long time ir which is 28 days and or 10 and 10 games and there again lti is you're not you're not getting extra cap space you're just able to replace that player up into that but once you that player is ready to play you got to be cap compliant so it is not just free money um and so it's going to be just interesting this whole year how the Wild navigate their cap. Well, not only that, but keep in mind that it isn't like we're talking about a team that has sprinted from the gates 25-2 and two and been in a mode where it was, I don't want to say coasting is the wrong word, but they haven't been sitting in a comfortable spot any of these years where it's really hard to, in the middle of the season, when you're fighting for every two points, fighting and clawing to stay in the playoff race or in a playoff spot to say, yeah, we think this guy's healthy, but we're just going to leave him on the side for another week so that he's a little bit more healthy when the playoffs come around, when the playoffs aren't a given. That's it's really hard to do that, and not to mention the fact that there's a player involved who Wants these guys are competitive as hell. Yeah. They want back in the lineup. But to the point is, is that like at some point you have to look at it and say, is it better for the guy to heal? Like like you know, Spurgeon is a great example of that. Two years ago, from the Winter Classic on, I remember he didn't play in it. He was dealing with an abdominal issue that have clearly affected him down the stretch and into the playoffs and. And, um, you know, you, sometimes it might be better to just take him out, do the surgery. Right, and, but, I'm, but I'm just saying that at yeah. the moment, those yeah. decisions are a lot harder to make than they are right now. Yeah. And, that's the Eric Sinek, right? and that's the challenge of a GM and a coach yeah. where you have to be able to look at it a little bit more objectively from a wider angle lens. But at the same time, it, it would be different if you were sitting in a, in a comfortable spot knowing that, you know what? We're gonna be in the playoffs. Yep. We're that's a given. Yes, maybe we're we might get a lesser matchup or have to be on the road to open or something like that. If we if we drop the next three games, and not that one guy is gonna guarantee you to drop three, but you know what the point is? It's that just that it's really hard in the moment, in the heat of the moment, to say, "Yep, you know what? Let's just give this guy another week or another two weeks or whatever it might be to." To make sure, and even then, there's no guarantee that when he comes back at that point, that that's going to make a difference two months from now when you're in the playoffs. Right. 
Um, Netflix and Kirill on Twitter asked, did Rossi get away from training to go to the state fair? Um, I don't know if he was at the state fair um, at all. Uh, you know, he's pretty much off social media. Um, but I can tell you the guy is just determined to make this team. Like his sister got married this past weekend and he didn't even fly home because he doesn't want to miss a day of captain's practices. So um, he is he is here to be impactful and we'll see if it happens. I think it'll be interesting, Anthony, how we, um, you know, how we measure whether he's had a successful camp or not. I don't know if it's possible until we see him in the regular season because the guy led the league in points last preseason, and we thought he was ready, and then when the lights came on, he just wasn't. And so no matter what happens this month and the first 10 days of October, until we see him in that opening night lineup and beyond, um, you know, it's going to just be hard to figure out if he's ready to make an impact. Yeah, the preseason's tough because it's very rare that you're a part of a full NHL lineup and playing against a full NHL lineup. So where you might look at things and say, well, boy, that looked good or the speed looked good. It's hard to gauge that when the speed is against, like I remember the the lineup the Wild faced when they went down to Milwaukee to face the Blackhawks last year. And that Blackhawk team looked, about half the guys looked totally disinterested and the other half looked like oh they weren't God. anywhere close to the NHL. Yeah. And so if you score on those nights, does that mean you're ready? And at the same time, there are some things you can see in a guy that, okay, that was different. The, the speed, the pace, the battle level, that looks distant or looks different. So there might be some things that we can take from the preseason games. It might be as much from what you see when the team goes at each other in practice too just to see if he looks different in those kind of spots a couple more minutes in the show before uh, anthony goes and puts a bow on this uh, twins game on uh twins live the post game show phil's burner asks what is the recipe for this team to win the division what sorts of individual performances would key players need to have in order for it to happen i mean recipe to win the division i don't know uh, mckinnon mccarr rantanen hints Robertson and Heisken and all injured? I don't know. I mean, I, I think those are the top two teams in the division. I think so, too. I think Minnesota, it's probably similar to what I kept saying last year, is I think the Wild are the third best team in the division. and and But that's third best team in the division can still be a team that's good enough to make some noise in the playoffs. I just think if you look at guys, there's a couple things that you'd want to see get duplicated and that would be the production of the Boldy Johansson combo from when they were together. Yep. Played 20 games together. Boldy had 23 points, Johansson at 18. If you see that kind of production from those guys all season at about that pace, you're going to have something. And then the other guys, we talked about it so much last year. They had so many guys that had career best years two years ago. And Billy kept just making the statement like, do it again. Go do it again. That was unrealistic that yeah. you were going to have all these guys duplicate it. But how these guys fell off was probably more excessive than what should have been expected as well. So is you got to have guys like, you know, Ryan Hartman. Is he closer to a 65-point guy or a 37-point guy? He's got to be closer to 65. Felino's got to be closer to 42 than to 21. Even Kirill, and I know part of it was injury, but he had 108 two years ago and 75 last year. He's got to be closer to 108. So if those guys all, let's say you split the difference between those two seasons with just a slight favor toward the bigger number, mm -hmm. and now Hartman's a 50-point guy, and Felino's a 34-point guy, and Kaprizov's a 100-point guy. Now that you get all those kind of things and... Now you're within, for sure, the division is within reach because I don't think the margin is nearly as big as it might appear on paper between Colorado, Dallas, and Minnesota. Yeah. And I mean, even look at last year, the points margin in the standings wasn't that big. Right. So if those guys that I just mentioned, if they all split the difference between their last two seasons, does that make up four, five, six points in the standings? I think it does for sure. Yeah. Most important thing until we get to come April and see their health situation. That's me. Like if, like if Kaprizov had been playing for the month before the playoffs, and Eric Snack and Hartman weren't hurt, I think the Wild beat Dallas. I mean, it just you lose Eric Snack, and then you compound that with 
with an injured Hartman um, in game one, it just made for life being And Kaprizov, I know he didn't want to use it as an excuse, but he clearly was hurting after that first game. And the the couple of cross-checks he took in the ribs clearly had bothered him and knocked him off his game at the very least. And if you look at his numbers in that series from the first five periods to the rest of the series, it's night and day, and the drop-off was significant. Yep. All right, a couple more questions. Uh, what can we expect from our third and fourth line point-wise, especially Dewar and Duham? Uh That's from Jill Patterson, uh, Anthony. I mean, the fourth line um, should be good, whether Letary's there uh, or Durr, um, Duham and Maroon. I mean, it should be an energy line, and that's the hope more than offensively. Uh, but <laughs> last year... Duhan was like the Cy Young winner. Did he even have an assist? I don't even know if he did. I think he had a couple. Yeah. But I think those guys will be a, they'll be an energy line and certainly important parts of the Wilds penalty kill, Dewar and Duhan. Yep. Uh, as we know, Dewar was a shorthanded machine, especially around midseason. Um, here's one for you. This is a, uh, uh, I'm trying to think if this will make, be the last one. Uh, well, I have a couple more. Um, is Kay Lannison just trying to get moved? Otherwise, he, uh, he would just reluctantly sign the Minnesota offer, right? This is from Von Trzinski, Hockey Leaf. I mean, you and I have talked about this a lot. I just don't know how much more the Wild can offer him if they want to especially have extra money to have either a 13th forward or just a crew. I don't think the Wild are willing to move, and I don't think he wants out. I think it's a... That's why this negotiation makes no sense to me. You know the Wild aren't aren't willing to budge. They they almost can't be willing to budge. So why antagonize things? Sign the deal. You're fighting for a small amount of money rather than just say, you know what? Walk in, arch your back, say, I'm going to prove it this year, and next year when we sit down to have this same conversation, I'm going to have the hammer. Yep, and there's going to be much more money in the pot, pot depending on what happens with all their UFAs, and they got a ton of them coming into the season between Zuccarello, Hartman, um, uh, Felino, Maroon, Flurry. I know I'm forgetting one, Dewey. Um, so there's there's a lot of... Uh, there could be extra money in the pot, depending on how the seem, uh, the season goes. Uh, final question of the pod, Jonathan Thies asks, were any wild players invited in it or in attendance at the NHL European interviews? Um, yeah, Philip Gustafson was there. Um, hopefully everybody read that story that I wrote him the other day. It was a really funny story about his, some of his quirks, Anthony, about um, you know this guy coming to the bench at one point last year and turning to the bench and saying, anybody know, like in the heart of a third period tight game, anybody know an animal that starts with the letter Q? I mean, he is a... He's an eccentric human being, as most goalies are, but he does all these like mental checks during games, Felino said. Um, and uh, he's the only guy on the team without an iPhone, too, so he gets separate checks because it just wreaks havoc on the Wilds group text and things like that. I'll go with Naturally, the, I'll go my article. Quail. Yeah, yeah, quail. There you go. Um, that is the number one answer. Um, as usual, the comment section of my article just devolved into people trying to give the Wild tips on how to like go into WhatsApp and things like that. But uh Anyway, um, but you know what's uh, really funny? I just wanted to read you this list, Anthony. So, you, and this is going to take a minute, but you got to just hear the names that I'm getting at the NHL car wash in in, uh, in um, Vegas next week with Pierre LeBron. Right? This is alphabetical order per team. You would not believe the names of the players coming. Um, all right, Anaheim's Troy Terry, Arizona's Clayton Keller, Charlie McAvoy, Tage Thompson, Nazem Kadri. So again, one per team. Then some teams have two. Uh, Seth Jarvis, Seth Jones, and Connor Bedard coming. Uh, Bowen Byram for the Avalanche. Last year, McKinnon and McCarr were there, so that's why uh, they've gotten to Byram this year. Um, Columbus, Johnny Goudreau, Jason Robertson, Dylan Larkin, Leon Dreisaitl, and Connor McDavid, who McDavid came last year, so that's good of him to come again. Matthew Kachuk and Brady Kachuk, which I believe both were there last year, so very cool of them to come again. Andre Kopitar, Matt Boldy, Cole Caulfield, Philip Forsberg, Jack Hughes, Anders Lee, Adam Fox, Jacob Truba, Travis Konechny, Sidney Crosby, Mario Ferraro, Matty Beniers, Robert Thomas, Mikhail Sergachev, Ilya Samsonov, John Tavares, Quinn Hughes, Jack Eichel, Mark Stone, Tom Wilson, and Josh Morrissey. So that is going to be a uh, murderer's row of NHL stars for LeBron and I in an interview. And uh, that's the cool part of me having kind of the new role at The Athletic is to get to go and do stuff like that uh, rather than just, you know, sit around and, and uh, you know, do stories on, on 
well, wild players. Matt Boldy's golf game? Yeah, Matt Boldy's golf game. Which oh, well, that uh, would have been a good story to do. I would have loved to have gone up yeah. there to see that tournament. Um, and and uh, Joe did a great job with that. And I loved Matt's quotes. Like, he realized, you know, like, look, you know, I'm a great golfer. And I just went up here and shot at 79 and 80. This is real, like, tournament stuff. And this is not the... This is not the NHL of the PGA right. Tour, right? The Canadian Tour is is you know probably third tier after the Corn Ferry, and yep. and um and and he went up there in tournament golf, it's a different beast, and I think he finished uh, you know last pretty much last among all those who finished the two rounds, and and that is we've talked a lot about it with our friend Andrew McCain, who's been on the Canadian Tour and fighting for a, a chance to get on the Corn Ferry Tour. Yep, he's on it now. And I played with a guy on the Corn Ferry Tour a couple of years ago. And it's amazing how good these guys are and how far they are away from making a living on the PGA Tour. It's just crazy, the, the different skill levels. And then when, those, when you get into those tournament settings, everything is different. And suddenly you're playing with a – they don't have galleries at Craigens Resort like they do at Augusta or anything, but you got people standing around watching, and all of a sudden every little – chip shot or four or five six foot putt becomes very different it's a it's totally different without a doubt and and it was great for him to go up and give it a shot and he is a good golfer so it's it's uh, probably an eye-opener for everybody just to see how big that difference is. Absolutely. Another fun pod. Uh, really appreciate it, Anthony, uh, you're hosting this one. Uh, September 14th, Woodbury Kowalski is going to be uh, um, lots of stuff, to, uh, food, corn of the cob, Minnesota-grown products, and maybe some steak uh, grilled by Anthony. Um, and then September 21st, the first day of training camp, that night at 7 p.m., we'll be at Elsie's. So September 14th at 6 p.m., at the Kowalskis in Woodbury on September 21st at 7 p.m. in Elsie's. Thanks to our sponsors uh, here from the Aquarius Home Services studio. Aquarius Home Services, your local authorized dealer for Connecticut water treatments. Christendahl Real Estate, Bosch Law Firm, Twill in the Adina Galleria, Royal Credit Union, and Moe's Ice House. Thanks, everybody. So much coming out, there's nothing going Um, you all right. have loans? I thought you were just independently uh, wealthy. Just, can't, just like pay cash for cars.